Hello and welcome to Day 3 Live, the live broadcast of Sunday morning service at Day 3 Church in Granite Falls, North Carolina. You can learn more about our ministry at day3church.org or find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash d3church. We're glad you chose to listen. Today is part two of our series called Righteousness. That word isn't heard very often anymore. What does it mean and how should that impact us? We will explore that in today's message, Righteousness Compared. We believe that God is waiting to speak to you today. So sit back and join us for the next few minutes. It's Day 3 Live, and it starts right now. We're doing a series called Righteousness. Uh, Primary reason for it, the Bible talks a lot about it. It appears some 558 times in the Bible. So we probably ought to talk about righteousness. Another reason we need to talk about it is that you don't hear a lot about it in our culture. Instead of hearing about righteousness in our culture, uh, you hear about relativism, where people want everything to be relative or conditional. Uh, in other words, uh, you, know, you can believe something's right for you, uh, and I can believe something different is right for me. The problem with that is this, you don't have a standard that's fixed. <laughs> and God hasn't changed His stance. What, what God says is right is still right. What God says is wrong is still wrong. And yet we live in a world that wants to avoid absolute wrong and absolute right. They want everything to be conditional. So that's part of the need to talk about righteousness. This week in particular, we're going to talk about righteousness compared God's versus man's. Because there's another problem in in our world. People don't want to just kindly have a conditional type of right and wrong. I think people have a tendency to do this. And I think we're all guilty of this from time to time, maybe not even meaning to. We'll compare ourselves to other people. You ever catch yourself doing that? I think it's even prevalent in the church today. I think, I think a lot of people, their, their great concern is this. Their great concern is, am I about as righteous? Am I about as holy? Am I about as good as the person down the street? Am I about as moral as somebody else I work with? Am I about as good as somebody else sitting on the road with me at church? And as long as I feel like I'm about as good as they are, then I kind of pat myself on the back and think I'm okay. Problem with that is this. (laughs) You and I aren't the standard for righteousness. God is is a standard for righteousness, not us. We talked a lot about that last week. And because God is the standard and and, and we're not, then we make a severe mistake when we start comparing ourselves with other people. We need to recognize that God is the standard of righteousness, not other people. Instead of being concerned about whether or not I'm as good or I'm as holy, I'm I'm as moral or spiritual or righteous as another person, We need to compare ourselves with God. We need to compare ourselves with Christ. And we won't feel near as good about ourselves when we do that. We won't feel like, you know, I'm okay because I'm just as good as this other person down the road or this other person that that I know. Our working definition of righteousness, let me bring it forward from, from last week, is this. Righteousness is that which is always right or just by nature. 
In other words, it's always true. Righteousness is, is that which is always right or just by nature and always does right or justice by actions. Now, guys, that describes God, but it doesn't describe us. So the bad news is we're left out of that definition of righteousness. I am not always right by my nature. I am not always good by my nature. Becky's here. Just talk to her after the service, okay? And and I don't always do what's right. I don't always do what's just. Can you say that about your own life? Because we're still human. We still have this fallen nature. So to help us understand God's perfect righteousness and help us understand our lack of personal righteousness, we need to kind of do this comparison, righteousness compared God's versus man's. Let's talk about God's to begin with. The standard of righteousness, guys, or you might call it the measurement of righteousness, the standard of righteousness is God's righteousness. If you want a standard to go by that doesn't change, a measurement that that stays the same, the measurement of righteousness would be God's righteousness. The standard or measurement we should use when comparing righteousness, holiness, religious behavior, living rightly, should not be other people. The, The driving influence in our lives or the driving motivations in our lives shouldn't be what culture says is right or what the conventional wisdom of the day says is right. Instead of us being worried so much about what somebody else thinks about us, we ought to be more worried about what God thinks about us. I think sometimes people, even Christian people, are are afraid to make righteous stands because they're afraid, well, what will my friends think? Or what will culture say? Or what will this group say about me? Guys, I'm just going to submit to you as a believer, you need to be more concerned about what God thinks about you than you're concerned about what anybody else thinks about you. Because he is the standard of righteousness. Charles Finney was a uh, pastor from years and years ago. Uh, he was a well-known evangelist back in those years. He was born August 29th, uh, 1792 uh, through August 16th. He, he died August 16th, 1875. Uh, he uh, was an American uh, Presbyterian pastor. Uh, I threw this at Daryl, the last service. Uh, John's not in here, so I'll throw it at him. I think John used to be his worship leader back then. Is that, is that true, Carrie? Can I get you? She, yeah. <laughs> uh, John's not that old, neither am I. But he was a well-known revivalist. God used him as one of the main pastors that helped launch the second great awakening in America. Matter of fact, there's a great revival that was taking place over about 10 years' time from 1825 to 1835. Guess where it was at? Listen to where this great revival was taking place. In upstate New York and in Manhattan. Wouldn't that shock you to find out there's revival in Manhattan today? Be a great thing, wouldn't it, if we had revival break out in Hollywood or revival break out in Manhattan or a place like that. So that's where Finney was serving, where he was, was getting this large revival going. He wrote a message during that time entitled, The Religion of Public Opinion. And the reason I'm sharing with you about that is because it kind of goes along with what we're thinking about. In that message, the religion of of public opinion, he had 20 points. I'm not going to read all 20 points, okay? You wouldn't even get supper tonight if I did, probably. You think my two points or four points sometimes long? Let, Let me show up on Sunday with 20 points, okay? But he wrote this lecture. Let me read to you his first point. Here's his first point. 
And I read this sermon, by the way, 30 years ago, and it just came to mind as I was studying for today. Here's what he said in his first point. They, talking about people, they do what the Apostle Paul says certain persons did in his day. And for that reason, they remain ignorant of the true doctrine. And here's what they said they were doing. They measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves among themselves. Now, this wasn't his main text, but this is the verse that he's referring to that Paul wrote. Paul, Paul said in 2 Corinthians 10, 12, we do not dare to classify or compare ourselves with some who commend themselves. Guys, we have people running rampant across our world that want to commend themselves or, or justify themselves. And he said, don't compare yourself with those people. He said, when they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are not wise. And then he goes on to say this. There are vast many individuals who instead of making Jesus Christ their standard of comparison and the Bible their rule of life, manifestly aim at no such thing. They show that they never seriously dreamed of making the Bible their standard. In other words, they're not going to apply this to their life. They're going to live however they want to live is what he's saying. The great question with them is whether they do about as many things in religion and are about as pious as other people or as the churches around them. Their object is to maintain a respectable profession of religion instead of seriously inquiring for themselves what the Bible really requires and asking how Jesus Christ would act in such and such case. That's kind of like what would Jesus do, you know, that armband from years ago. We need to ask ourselves in circumstances of life, what would he do? Well, instead of doing that, he said they are looking simply at the common run of professing Christians. In other words, they're comparing themselves with other believers and are satisfied with doing what is commendable in their estimation. They prove to a demonstration that their object is not so much to do what the Bible lays down as duty as to do what the great masses of professing Christians do, to do what is respectable, in other words, what is approved. Uh, They used the word different in that day and time. To do what is approved by culture, what he's talking about, rather than what is right. Now think about everything I just read. Does that sound like a world we live in? Does it? People are more concerned about what the world thinks and about what culture thinks than they are about what the Bible says or, or trying to model their life after Jesus. Now here's the scripture text that Finney used when he did this message. John chapter 12, verse 42 through 43, I'll read to you in the King James to begin with. It says, nevertheless, among the chief rulers, also many believed on him. In other words, there were people even among the chief rulers who were believing in Jesus. But because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they be put out of the synagogue, for they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. Here's what he's saying. Even though they were believing secretly in Jesus, they dare not tell anybody about it because they might be put out of church and that they'd be put out of the synagogue and they were more interested in the praise of men in the praise of the Pharisees than they're interested in the praise of God. Here's the way the ESV put it. For they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. Guys, when when you get your motivation twisted, it'll lead you in a wrong direction. No matter who you are, 
Guys, I, I, I don't want you ever on Sunday morning to get some image of, of Lynn Parsons up here and thinking I'm trying to come across as good to you or great to you. Because I'll tell you something, Lynn Parsons is a mess. Lynn Parsons is just, a, I was just as lost as anybody has ever been. I, I'm not up here by my own virtue. I'm not up here for you to look at me and, and, and see me. I, I'm up here for you to see Jesus and for me to point you to Jesus. If you're a motivation, no matter what you do, if you're teaching a small group or if you're helping to lead worship or you're helping to teach children whenever we get children's ministry going back or you're leading in some other ministry here at day three, your motivation better not ever be for you to get the glory of men or the praise of men. Your motivation ought to be to get the honor of God and for you to honor Him. That ought to be the motivation. But Finney said in his message, people weren't interested in that. They're more interested in what people think. And that's why today in this message, I, I want us to understand as we compare God's righteousness with, with man's righteousness, we don't need to be afraid of what people think. We need to understand that God is righteous and that we're not and be willing to proclaim that. Now, that being said, I, I want to encourage you maybe to look up online Finney's message, the religion of public opinion, you can Google it, look it up, and you can read all of his 20 points. And as you do, you'll be shocked how current it sounds to our culture today. But what I want us to understand right now is that God's righteousness is the standard to measure righteousness instead of other people. Don't compare your life with other people. The righteousness comparison for us is not to use other people, but God. And of course, that includes Jesus because he's God in the flesh. If you want to see how God would act and how God would live, look at the life of Jesus as he lived here on the earth. Let, let me give you some verses, kind of like I did last week. I'm just going to throw some verses at you to show you why God's righteousness is the standard instead of looking at the lives of other people. Moses wrote this in Deuteronomy 32 and verse 4. Look what he calls God. He says, the rock. <laughs> I hope God is that for you. I hope God is your rock. I hope he's your foundation. I hope he's the one that you lean upon. He, he said, the rock, his work is perfect, for all his ways are just. A God of faithfulness and without injustice, righteous and upright is he. God's, God is perfect, but people aren't. That's why other people can't be your standard of righteousness. Daniel wrote this. In Daniel 9, 7, it says, To you, O Lord, belongs righteousness, but to us open shame. As this day, to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, to all Israel, those who are near and those who are far away, and all the lands of which you've driven them, because of the treachery that they have committed against you. If you were to give God a sign to wear, the tag that you'd put upon God would be righteousness. If you were to give me a sign to wear, or you a sign to wear, if we'd be honest, the tag for us to hold up would be shame. And our culture doesn't even know anything about shame anymore. If people understood shame, they wouldn't do some of the things that they do. But we all have committed treachery against God. We ought to wear that banner of shame. But God's banner is righteousness. Ezra chapter 9, verse 15 Lord, the God of Israel, you are righteous. We are left this day as a remnant. Here we are before you in our guilt, though because of it, none of us can stand in your presence. God is righteous. We aren't. We're guilty. Psalm 19, verse 1, to the choir master of Psalm of David. Here's what David told his choir master to sing about. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. 
Now, I want to remind you what we're talking about. We're talking about God's righteousness versus man's righteousness. The Bible said there that the very heavens, he, he wrote there, it says, sing about it. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. So if we're going to do a comparison in righteousness, can I ask you, when's the last time the heavens declared your glory? When, when is the last time that the very sky above proclaimed your handiwork? Never had it happen for me. I, I've never looked up in the heavens and thought how great Lynn Parsons is. But, but I can look up into the heavens and look at all creation and understand how great the Creator must have been to bring everything together and, and understand those scream a testimony about who He is. Psalm 33 and verse 5, referring to God, says, He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. He loves righteousness. If I were to ask you today, how many of you love righteousness? Now, some of you might real quick shoot your hand up. I love righteousness. <laughs> and I love justice. And some of you probably in your heart do. If I were to ask you about our world and our culture that we live in, some of you might be naive enough to think, yeah, our, our world wants righteousness. Our world wants what's right. Our world wants what's just. Let me burst your bubble for a minute. If that's really true of our culture, why is there so much unrighteousness and injustice in the world? Because that describes God. It doesn't describe mankind by his nature. Isaiah chapter 33 and verse 22, it says, For the, the, the Lord is our, our, our judge. The, the Lord is our lawgiver. The Lord is our king. He will save us. I think I skipped over one, Psalm 11, verse 7, for the Lord is righteous. He loves righteous deeds. The, the upright shall behold his face. And then Revelation chapter 4, I'll give you one more verse. Guys, this is just a sample of verses. I could read many more verses about how righteous God is and we aren't. But in Revelation chapter 4, verse 11, listen what's said there. Worthy are you, O Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. We, we could roll together maybe all those sample verses and say something like this. God is righteous. He is perfect. All his ways are just and right. Righteousness belongs to him, but shame and guilt belongs to us. God is worthy to receive glory, honor, and power as the righteous creator God. God's righteousness is the standard, not our righteousness. Need me to prove that a little bit more? Need me to prove to you that God is the standard of righteousness and we aren't? Second point is this today. The counterfeit of righteousness is man's righteousness. The standard of it, the measurement of it is God's righteousness. But our pretended righteousness where we think we are righteous ourselves somehow, that's a counterfeit. It's a false measurement. Let me ask you a question. Why use a false measurement to measure something if you want the truth? Why use a wrong standard of measurement? To, to illustrate that a little bit, let's say you're building a house. Or Daryl was back there the last service, and Daryl built some furniture on the side. And I said, are you, are you building a piece of furniture like Daryl does? If you start out using a ruler 
that inches are the standard, and then somehow you make a mistake in the middle of building what you're building, and, and, and you start using the ruler, and you're using centimeters, why you think you're using inches, what's it going to look like at the end of it? It's not going to be what you thought it would be. Let, let me go more extreme with that. Let's say you go to Lowe's, and you, and you buy a tape measure, or a, a tape ruler there, and it was mismanufactured. <laughs> And you thought you were buying something that said inches on it, but they made a mistake on it at the factory, and it's not really inches, although it's telling you it is. And you use that for your standard of measurement. What's the thing that you're building going to look like on the other side of it? It's going to be a little bit messed up, isn't it? It's going to be a lot messed up because you thought you were dealing with inches and you weren't. Well, here's my point. If we use other people for our standard, for our measurement of righteousness, we're not going to get the result that we'd like to have because other people are flawed. Other people are sinners. Other people are lost in sin just like we are. So why in the world would you want to take somebody else and compare your life to theirs because they're flawed to start with? God is the standard of, of righteousness. He's the, the measurement for us to go by to compare ourselves to, not somebody else, because the other person is flawed. You need some verses to kind of prove that? See, we might not like this, but we don't have our own righteousness. And, and comparing man's righteousness with God's is really no comparison at all. Here's why. The Bible says this in Romans 3.23, for what's that word? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That all includes me, it includes you, it includes your good old grandma, it includes Billy Graham. All of us have sinned. All of us fall short of God's glory. And the concept of falling short of God's glory is taking God's righteousness and it's like we're trying to hit it, like we're trying to hit a target. It's not going to happen. It would be like you and I somehow putting a bullseye on the moon and trying to hit it with a slingshot. Never, ever going to happen. <laughs> and you and I never, ever can stack up to God's righteousness. We all fall short. Isaiah 64, verse 6 says this. We have, what's the word again? All. We have all become like one who is unclean. And what is it? <laughs> all. Our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind take us away. Guys, I'm not trying to be improper, but I am wanting to be truthful with you. And some of you may already be aware of this and know it. The, the King James said that all of our righteous deeds are like a filthy rag, is the way it was stated. The, the word that he uses, what it was talking about is this. It's talking about the cloth in that day and time that a woman will wear when it was her time of month during her period. They didn't have the products that you have available to you today. And that garment would become soiled, and that garment would become very dirty, and even the Bible alludes to it as being unclean. So from God's vantage point, from God's viewpoint, think what God is saying about us. And I want to point out to you, he doesn't say here when we are trying to do good and we don't do good. He, he doesn't say here when we have failed in some way. He, here's what he said. He said, all our righteous deeds, 
More or less, God is saying this, the very best we can be, not the worst we can be, but the very best we can be, just like we are all by ourselves without God's help, the very best we can be is just like a filthy rag to God. When we compare ourselves to Him, not others, but when we compare ourselves to Him, all of our righteousness, all of it rolled together is just like a filthy rag to God. Isaiah 53 and verse 6 says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Now, all of that sounds like bad news, terrible news, but it's the truth. We, we have all sinned. We have all fallen short of God's glory. Unsaved sinners are all unclean when compared to God's righteousness. All our attempts at righteousness are, are like a filthy rag. We've all gone astray. We've all turned away from God and followed our own way. And all that is, is bad news. But listen, I'd rather somebody tell me the truth than tell me a lie. We may not like being told the best we can be is like a filthy rag when it's compared to the holiness and the righteousness of God. And yet it's true. If I go to a doctor and I have come down with cancer, although I would hate to hear the words, I'd rather that doctor be honest with me and tell me, you've got cancer and here's what we need to do about it. Then for the doctor just to pat me on the back and say, hey, you're a good old boy, just go on home, you're going to be okay. I'd rather be told the truth. God is telling us the truth. He is righteous and we're not. He's the one that, that, that is righteous. And because we're not, I want you to look at the last part of, of, of verse 6 of Isaiah 53. And it says this, And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. All the rest of it is bad news. But guys, that is great news. That's wonderful news. That's the good news. That's, that, that's the gospel. God laid upon Jesus all of our sin, all of our iniquity. The righteous God did that for us. And that's great news. And here's some more verses to support that. First Peter 3, verse 18. For Christ also suffered. How many times? What does it say? Once. Why did it say he suffered once? Because he did everything necessary one time on the cross to pay for our sins. That's why he shouted out, it is finished. That's why he called out that word, tell us die. Because he had paid everything necessary. For Christ also suffered once for sins. The righteous talking about Jesus for the unrighteous talking about us. Here's why he did it. That he might bring us to God. Isaiah 53 and verse 11. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, notice what's going to happen. And that's talking about Jesus, guys. Isaiah, hundreds of years before Jesus ever came on the scene. He, he's saying that, that his righteous, the righteous one, talking about Jesus, my servant, talking about Jesus, will make many to be counted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Jesus came in order that you and I might be counted righteous. He took our iniquities. He took our sins to the cross. Second Peter verse 1, 4 says, by which he has granted us his precious and very great promises. I hope that's the way you view the Bible. Guys, I hope, don't get over this. We live in a culture that will just try to tell you that's just a book. I'll tell you something right here, something precious. 
This is something precious that God has given us. He has given us his precious and very great promises. Notice this, so that through them, that means the message of the scripture that lets me know I'm a sinner, that lets me know I can't save myself, that lets me know I'm unrighteous and God is righteous, that lets me know that God loved me so much he sent his son to die on the cross for my sins. So that through them, through that message, you might become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Do you see that? Doesn't that blow your mind? That, that what this Bible tells us, the fact that we are lost, the fact that we are unrighteous, and that He is righteous, and the righteous God did for us what we could not do by sending His Son to die on the cross, by us accepting, believing, trusting in those promises, we or we become partakers of the divine nature. What is God's divine nature? God's divine nature is righteousness. We can become partakers of righteousness because of the promises that God gives us when we trust in the gospel. Romans chapter 4 and verse 5 and 6 says this, However, to the one who does not work, you might want to underline that if you don't mind marking in your Bible, Ever to the one who does not work, but trust God who justifies. God who makes us just even though we're not. God who calls us just even though we're not. We're sinners. But trust God who justifies the ungodly. Their faith, in other words, that kind of faith, their faith is credited as righteousness. God doesn't make people righteous who are trying to work their way to heaven. It's not to the one who works, but it's the one who trusts God who will justify them because of the finished work of Jesus on the cross. That type of faith is credited as righteousness. David even talked about it. David says the same thing when he speaks of the blessedness of the one to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. You want to know why he calls that blessedness? If it were based upon my performance, I'm telling you what, it wouldn't be blessedness. I alluded to it last week. If it were based upon what I did, be honest. If, if you knowing you're going to heaven was based upon what you've done this week, could you go home tonight and put your head on the pillow and be, feel like you're, you're blessed? Feel like you're at peace? If it were based upon you, if it was based upon your works, I couldn't. But I bet I can because of this. David says the same thing when he speaks of the blessedness of the one to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. I understand that righteousness is not mine by my own making. I understand that I can't work my way to heaven. I can't make myself righteous. But I also understand this, that God credits me righteousness when I accept his word about the gospel. When I trust what he says about Christ and what Christ did on the cross for me, God makes me righteous. And because of that, it is blessed. Because of that, I can lay down at night at peace. Do you see the contrast we're talking about this morning? Do you see the comparison between God's righteousness and that of man's imagined righteousness? We're getting ready to close with an invitation in just a moment. I want to challenge you. I mean, I don't know why I felt led to say it this week, but I think sometimes we can get where we're just going through the motions. And it's invitation time, so, okay, we stand up.
And we listen for John to sing a good song. And we enjoy a good song, and then we pray and we go home. That's not what the invitation is about. The invitation is a time for you to consider what God is saying to you, what God has said to you through the message today. The invitation time is a time for you to listen to the Holy Spirit of God and invite Him to walk around in your heart and walk around in your mind and let you know the things that need to be corrected. Or if you don't know Christ as your Savior, let you know, hey, you need to trust in Jesus. You need to admit that you are a sinner, you're lost, and you have no hope without Christ. It's time for you to listen to God. Don't just stand up and sing through the motions. But before we do it, I want to give you a clear comparison, a clear contrast by reading one more passage of Scripture in Psalm 36. Because it clearly shows us a distinction between the righteousness of God and man. Verse 1 through 4 says this, Transgression speaks to the wicked deep in his heart, and there's no fear of God before his eyes. Does that sound like people today? No fear of God? For he flatters himself in his own eyes that his iniquity cannot be found out and hated. The words of his mouth are trouble and deceit, and he has ceased to act wisely and do good. He plots trouble while he's on his bed. He sets himself in a way that is not good. He does not reject evil. I don't know about you. That sounds like our culture today. That sounds like the world that we live in. But now let's read about God. Again at verse 5. John, I, I started to call you this week and I, and I didn't. Um, and I, I guess maybe God didn't really settle it in my heart, but I started to call you and say, hey, let's do the old third day song based on the scripture. Your steadfast love, O Lord, extends to the heavens. Your faithfulness to the clouds. Your righteousness is like the mountains of God. Your judgments are like the great deep. Man and beast you save, O Lord. How precious is your steadfast love, O God. The children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast on the abundance of your house, and you give them drink from the river of your delights. For with you is the fountain of life. In your light do we see light. O continue your steadfast love to those who know you, and your righteousness to the upright in heart. Let not the foot of arrogance come upon me, nor the hand of the wicked drive me away. There the evildoers lie fallen, and they are thrust down, unable to rise. Do you see the clear contrast there between God and man? God is righteous. But man is lost and unrighteous because of sin. God is the standard of righteousness, and the imagined righteousness of God, the pretended righteousness of, the, or the, of man, the, the imagined righteousness of man, the pretended righteousness of men is counterfeit. But here's the good news. The righteous God will declare unrighteous people righteous through faith in Jesus. Where are you in this comparison? Are you someone that's still trying to hold on to your own goodness and you think you're okay and you think you're righteous? You think you just need to fan a little divine spark? <laughs> you, you've hooked in with a new age lie that we can all become as God some way? 
Or have you admitted to God that all your righteous attempts, all of it rolled together, the best you can be is just like a, a filthy rag when it comes to comparing yourself and the righteousness of God. Even more importantly, have you trusted Christ in His once and forever ultimate sacrifice on the cross for your sins? If you will trust in Christ, God will give you His righteousness. And we'll talk about that next week. Next week, we're going to talk about righteousness imputed. God giving us His righteousness. Let's pray. Father, Forgive us when we use the wrong standard to measure our lives, to measure our concept of right and wrong, to measure our goodness. Forgive us when we compare ourselves against other people, when we use the wrong measuring stick, when maybe we compare ourselves about others to make ourselves feel better. When we look for someone that's doing worse than we are so we can feel good about who we are. God, forgive us for that type of comparison and help us to understand other people. No matter how good they might be, other people are not the measurement. Other people are not the standard of righteousness. You are. So Father, right now, help us to be honest and compare ourselves to your holiness, to your righteousness to your perfection, to your Son. Lord, those of us that already know you as Savior, but maybe somehow we've slid away from righteousness, God, help us right now to return to living more right lives, the type of lives that you want us to live. Not in order to be saved, but because you've saved us. Father, if there's anyone here today that doesn't know Christ as Savior, I pray right now they would feel your conviction. Right now they would hear your Spirit speaking to their heart, to their mind. Right now convince them the best they can be is like a filthy rag. And the only way they can become righteous is not through good works, but by trusting fully in the finished work of Jesus on the cross. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. Daryl will be here at the front with me if you need to come forward and want one of us to pray with you or if you've got questions. And, of course, John's leading us, but he'll be available after the service if you want to talk to him or have John pray with you. I hope you understand what the standard of righteousness is. Not you comparing yourself with me or me comparing myself with you or us comparing ourselves with with somebody else out there in the world and feeling good about ourselves, it's us seeing ourselves before God. Lost. And our only hope is Jesus. And if you don't know Him, why not trust in Him today? Please stand. Are you in need of greater peace in your life? It is possible, and it starts with being at peace with God. Just pray something like this. Lord Jesus, I realize I need you and your forgiveness. I invite you to be the boss of my life. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. I receive you as my Savior and Lord. 
Make me the kind of person you want me to be. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, we'd love to talk to you. We're here to pray with you, to love you, and offer support. Please contact us at day3church.com. We care about you, and we want to connect with you. Until next time, this is Pastor John reminding you that God is greater than your circumstances and His mercies are new every morning. It's time to experience a new day in your life.